0: Our gospel reading today is Matthew's version of the great parable of the sower, and our parable this morning is about life and ministry, and we are to be sowers. I sow seed liberally because I don't always know where it is going to land, what, it is, what is going to happen, what seed will grow and what will not, but I sow anyway. Anyway. Matthew tells us that Jesus goes down to the Sea of Galilee, and he attracts an enormous crowd of listeners. And this represents a deep hunger, the hunger for the word of God, for God's presence, for spiritual growth, to be fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. This crowd sensed the power of God in Jesus, and they wanted it desperately and with all their hearts, so it still goes with the word of God. Jesus often communicated spiritual truths through parables, short stories or descriptions that take a familiar object or situation and give it a startling twist. But linking the known with the hidden and forcing listeners to think, parables point to spiritual truths. A parable compels listeners to discover the truth for themselves, and it conceals the truth from those too lazy to discover it. In reading Jesus' parables, we must be careful not to read too much into them. Most have only one main point and meaning. So Jesus uses one of his most famous images in our gospel today. He uses a picture that would have been very familiar to the people of his time. A sower, he says, Went out to sow. So we are meant to see the way the sower sows. He spreads the seed far and wide on soil, both good and bad, on the path and thorns. He throws it everywhere. So Jesus is explaining the kingdom of God in these provocative and puzzling stories and images that seem to be his preferred way of preaching. He didn't preach abstract messages or give complicated explanations. Many parables are strange and initially off-putting and puzzling. And of course, that is the point of the parables, to bother us, to throw us off base, to confuse us just a bit, to think, to reflect how characteristic this was of Jesus' preaching. He rarely lays things out in doctrinal form in the way that we understand that today, He prefers to tell these puzzling, funny stories. Why? Because in many cases, stories reveal truth that arguments can't quite capture. Jesus loved to tell parables and stories that illustrate in order to help make the unfamiliar understandable. If we have ears to listen and listen to the Spirit. We can see in this parable grace... Grace is love, freely given, spread liberally and extravagantly. The characteristic of the sower is his extravagant, if not wasteful, generosity. Seed everywhere. The words, acts, intentions, creative happenings of God falling all over the place. True love is a kindness that does not expect a return. True love gives even when nothing is given back. It isn't calculated. It isn't measured. It isn't careful. It is reckless, free, and indifferent. And this is the way that God loves. God allows the sun to shine on the good and the bad alike. But we often don't operate that way as humans. We do good things to those who can do good things to us. For those who will likely be evil to us, we keep our distance. And that is why we should throw parties for those who can't return the favor. Because it is then that we will be like our Father who is in heaven. Our love is meant to mimic God's love. And if God lives inside of us, why shouldn't that love flow through us? The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us, we heard this morning. So how do we sow the seed of love and grace and kindness and generosity? Do we throw it just on good soil where we can expect a good return? Or do we throw it liberally on the good and the bad and the wicked as well as the just? Thank God that he does not just love those who deserve his love. He sows his word on those who will receive it well and those who won't. He offers his salvation to those who will respond and to those who will turn away. So we live in a world where God the sower is at work walking through nations and civilizations, societies and communities and continents and countries, families and individuals through war and through peace, through pubs and restaurants when they're open, through theaters and offices when they're open. While people are typing and sewing and eating and sleeping and driving and singing and weeping and talking and watching and playing and cursing and blessing and arguing and making love and studying and striving, escaping and running in Belgium and Bakersfield and Calcutta and Chicago. He's working in extravagantly casting his love and grace and wooing people into relationship with him. And having seen the intention of the sower, let us look at the receivers of the word. And here we learn a lot about ourselves. Jesus is explaining his own parable to his disciples. And in verse 19, he says, The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message of the kingdom and don't understand it. And then the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their hearts. This is a word I think that speaks to our increasingly secular society. So many in our culture have grown deaf to the language of the spirit and the gospel is unfamiliar. We don't understand these things when they are offered to us because we don't know the message of God's word. We don't know the good grand narrative of God's salvation story. And unfortunately, many can only speak pop culture and sports and politics and partisan politics and smartphones and electronics and computers, what is currently spinning on the music device, the new releases at the movie theater, television, magazines, books, trivial conversations, gossip, and so forth. And even though the word of God is often proclaimed from pulpits, we don't understand Our minds are so full of other things, other worries that we have um, of what we have to do even when we leave church. So what do we do if we are hungry and we want God's word to be planted deep within us, but blocked by our ignorance and our busyness? I would encourage you to get into the word of God. A recent poll concerning religious attitudes in America showed that most Americans favor a radical tolerance in regard to religious beliefs. Now, I know that doesn't surprise us. It also showed that there was a shocking ignorance in regard to belief systems and dogmas in the history of one's own religion. So this is why ongoing discipleship and catechetical teaching is so important. I I would encourage you, if, if anyone here has ever been catechized before, please don't say, I don't need any more catechism because I was catechized 40 years ago. Do you see the problem with that? Catechism is an ongoing work of being formed by God's word. Because it's not what we find, it's not so much what's in our head, but it's what's in our heart. It's not so much what we know, but it's how we are acting on the things that we know, how obedient we are to the things that we know in the word of God. We can't change what happened up to now, but we can start now. Get a good Bible commentary. Get a good devotional. I or one of the other priests here can help you with these things. Ask. We'd be more than happy to share. Open our mind and heart to the spiritual dimensions, to what God is saying through his holy word, his unfolding story of salvation. And if we're trying to make it on one meal from Sunday morning to carry us throughout the week, we are spiritually malnourished. So then we hear in verses 20 and 21, the seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots... They don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. This again is a common situation. There are people today listening to the word. They take it in. They rejoice when they hear it. They might even say amen or that was a good sermon, father, but they don't make it the foundation of their lives. They don't allow the spiritual truths to reach all the way down, to permeate, to cut to the heart. The question this morning is, do we allow God's word to cut us to the heart? They don't repent. They don't turn away. They don't change their mind. They don't align themselves with God's perfect, straight plumb line. We can be moved by a teaching or a reading of scripture, but the idea is to let the word take deep root in us so that it affects our mind and our heart and our emotions and relationships and attitudes, public and private life, work and home, in order that it will impact the whole of us. What happens, Jesus says, is that as soon as problems or persecution comes along, the word falls away. Another image that Jesus used was the person who built his spiritual house upon the sand. So when the winds came, the house blew down. The word of God needs to reach down into the deepest parts of us to transform us because Jesus wants to move into the whole of our house, not just the select rooms that we choose him to be in. We read in verse twenty-two. The seed that fell upon thorns represents those who hear God's word, but are too quick uh, too quickly. The message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth, so no fruit is produced. Many of us have heard the word taught in discipleship hour, in mass, through catechism class, a Bible study, community group, and so forth. We have heard it, and many of us know it to some level. We might even, if pressed, acknowledge to some level its importance, but we, but we allow ourselves to be preoccupied with the anxieties of the world, with the yearnings and the itches of this life. That word does not bear fruit. Living in the midst of this pandemic, and with the help of news and social media, and partisan politics, among many other things, we are living in extreme worry and anxiety and fear. And as verse 22 says, I'm going to be reading this from the message this time, the sea cast in the weeds is the person who hears the kingdom news, but weeds of worry and illusions of getting more and wanting everything under the sun strangle what was heard and nothing comes from it. Listen to the words of Bishop Todd Hunter that he posted on Facebook a few days ago. Peace is a characteristic of God. If we are in God, that peace is ours too. I want to stop for a moment. This isn't just about you. This is about me. This is a message for my heart too because I lean in at times during the week with anxiety and stress just like you. So this is a word that I'm receiving. This is a word in due season for me. But please listen. He goes on. That means my peace can be the same peace that Jesus himself experienced. You might say, but that's not my experience. That union with God and the peace you would expect to flow from it is not how it usually goes for me. Yes, I get it. Peace has been a lifelong pursuit for me, but what is going to be your fundamental guide? I suggest that it is your experience of the person and the will of God as expressed in Jesus and throughout Christian history. Would it be good news to you to consider that the journey to peace may be less about striving and more about letting go, about opening yourself to aspects of God that may have eluded you. Peace is in God. That is where you will find it. So quit examining yourself and turn yourself to the source. Gaze on God, especially God in Christ and in the spirit. Can you turn toward him today? Can you let go of your discouragement and your cynicism? You will never be perfect in peace, in the sense of reacting to every situation a, perfect, a person perfectly, but you can get it right by getting yourself right, as Jesus taught from the inside out. I think that's a good word for us. We can have peace. The world around us is truly full of anxiety, stress, worry, And fear about money and the pandemic, the virus, the news outlets, social media, sickness, our loved ones, the person next to us that might have it. The loved one that we can't visit because of the possibility of passing it to them. And the list goes on and on. So many things we are worried and we're anxious about. I confess I've had some worry and stress and anxiety this week. It wouldn't be appropriate to tell you all the reasons why. But we don't have to live in fear, worry, and anxiety, and stress. Yes, we must be prudent and wise, but remember the good Samaritan. Be careful how we treat people. Don't avoid and and react toward and judge or treat people badly. Be like the good Samaritan. In Luke chapter 10, it tells us, reading from the message, A Samaritan traveling the road came on him, and when he saw the man's condition, his heart went out to him. He gave him first aid, disinfecting and bandaging his wounds. Then he lifted him up on his donkey, led him to an inn, made him comfortable. In the morning, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take good care of him. If it costs any more, put it on my bill. I'll pay you on my way back. Maybe we be known like the early Christians who attended to the broken and the hurting and the disease infected. This love and attention given by early Christians was a powerful testimony of the Christian faith and was used to see many come to know and to follow Jesus Christ. And when the world looks at us, what do they see? How do we treat our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ? How do we treat our enemy? How do we treat those non-Christians who are hurting, suffering, and hanging on for dear life? May we not allow the worries of the world to choke the word of God that was literally and generously given to us. As Christians, we are called to dispel fear and to lead with hope. 2 Timothy 1 verse 7 says, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. This is the time for the body of Christ to remember who we are. We're not to live in a hunker-down mentality, but to see how we can help, how we can be salt and light, how we can be a healing presence to the world. We are a family who goes through things together, the good things together, the bad things together, the rough things together. We're a family. We're going to offend each other, and then we have the privilege to make things right. That's the way family acts. We're disciples who grow through trials. We are servants who care for the hurting. We are witnesses who embody and share the good news. We are worshipers who look to God in all things. And when the world gets darker, we are to shine brighter. All saints outshine the darkness that we find all around us these days. But remember, all this passes away, but it is the word of God that lasts forever forever. God's word is a lamp to guide our feet and a light for our path. God's word nourishes us. It shows us his will and it shows us his way. God is spreading or sowing his word wildly, liberally, wastefully, generously. But we have to listen. We have to let the word read and change us. We can't just listen, though. We have to act, respond, obey, repent, realign, think about to change our thinking and actions and if not no fruit will be produced verse 23 the seed that fell on good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest of 30 60 or even 100 times as much that has been planted this seed took root and brought forth a good harvest Let us endeavor to be that good soil so that when the seed of the word of God comes into our lives, it may be reproduced a hundredfold. The four types of soil represent different responses to God's message. People respond differently because they are in different states of readiness. What's our state of readiness? Some are hardened, others are shallow, others are contaminated by distracting worries, and some are receptive as our old testament reading declares in isaiah 55 as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater so is my word that goes out from my mouth it will not return to me empty but will accomplish what i desire and Paul tells us in our epistle from Romans, those who live according to the flesh have their mind set on what the flesh desires. But those who live according with the spirit have their mind set on what the spirit desires. So as I close, how has God's word taken up root in our life? What kind of soil are we? If it's not the kind of soil that we prefer, Or that God prefers, what are we going to do about it?